This podcast is brought to you by RMA, the Risk Management Association. RMA's sole purpose is to advance the use of sound risk management principles in the financial services industry. Learn more at rmahq.org. Hello, this is Linda Tachaman, President of Antella Performance Solutions and CEO of Third Party Risk Institute. I want to speak with you today about third party risk management, whether it's an asset management or compliance exercise. So, welcome to RMA's podcast series. This is an, from an article that is published in the October issue of RMA Journal, and it's an excerpt from the second edition of my book, Third Party Risk Management, Driving Enterprise Value, published by RMA. The second edition is a very extensive update of my uh, first edition of my book, and this is from the first chapter. So it's talking about assets or uh, asset management. So it came as a surprise when an executive responsible for sourcing, procurement, and vendor management at a large bank told me that the institu- their institution's efforts to create a third-party risk management program were actually pointless. He said that procurement had always performed due diligence on vendors and that there was really no need for change. Procurement's efforts and processes are a good start when addressing third-party risk, but procurement is most often involved in deals with vendor third parties and only for typically for new relationships and sometimes for renewals. So what about the rest of the relationships that your, you know, that your company is involved in? So the OCC defines a third-party relationship as any business relationship between the organization and another entity by contract or otherwise. And this, of course, does exclude those with your customers. So third-party relationships are complicated. The critical ones and the critical activities they support are their operational and cultural ecosystems all unto themselves. So each third party is a part of your extended enterprise, which is a complex network of third parties, fourth parties, and nth parties that encompass the industries, environments, geographies, and markets that the third parties uh, operate in. Third-party risk management still flies below the radar for many members of senior management and, and boards, except when a material outsourcing strategy is underway or a certain budget line is, uh, is achieved. In financial services, regulatory attention to third-party relationships show us, saw a sharp increase following the financial crisis of 2007 and 2008. Instability across the system was a harsh reminder to regulators that a safe and sound financial system is just not a given. So I want to go back to what a third party is. For greater clarity, third parties are not just those vendors, suppliers, and outsourcers. They also include an extensive list of non-vendors. These are agents, resellers, joint venture partners, brand marketing partners, industry utilities, financial market intermediaries, etc. So there's a pretty long list of them. And through the RMA's third-party risk management roundtable, we came up with a list of 19 categories and 53 subcategories of non-vendor third parties. So you can see it really does permeate the whole organization. Now, the global pandemic has caused senior management and board members to take a hard look at third-party risk management practices. And regulators are taking a second look, too. They're working very hard to maintain the safety and soundness of the sector that they govern. Now, despite how essential these relationships are to the success of every company, they affect your customers, your market competitive, your revenues, etc., your reputation, few, if any, business leaders think about their critical third-party relationships as intangible assets. Now, granted, you can't sell or trade the relationships like you would a hard asset, an investment, or a financial instrument, 
But the success, failure, and sub-optimization of critical third-party relationships will affect your organization's reputation, operations, and financials, and ultimately can create or destroy value. So let's think about this. The, 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 according to the Chartered Global Management Accounting Organization, intangible assets or intangibles are long-lived assets used in the production of goods and services. They lack physical properties and represent legal rights or competitive advantages or a bundle of rights. They're developed or acquired by the owner. To have value, intangible assets should, be, should generate some measurable amount of economic benefit to the owner, such as incremental turnover uh, or earnings, a, um, pricing volume or better delivery, cost savings such as process economies and market cost savings, and increased market share or visibility. Sounds a heck of a lot like a third-party relationship, doesn't it? So you may want to consider what would it take to have your organization sharpen the focus on creating, increasing, and protecting the value of your most critical third-party relationships? And how would this change your third-party risk and relationship management practices? Now, I want to change gears a little bit as well, and let's think about your customers. So what if regulators in the legal system require financial services companies to make consumers fully aware of the actual scope of rights and obligations that they can successfully pursue or enforce? So how would this play out? Imagine if a financial institution was required to end every commercial with an extensive list of risks that the consumer will be exposed to just by doing business with them, the same way that a drug company has to. Imagine if every commercial that you put out ended with a disclaimer that said that the third parties you rely on to deliver services to them, the customers, may fail to safeguard your personal data, may commit fraud, may enable terrorist, terrorist financing, may have a, make a serious processing error, or how about may be unsure where your personal information is stored in the cloud. Gosh. So the consequences for getting it right, as you can see, are not easy to quantify, but they're really pretty important. So if a model was created to calculate the risk-adjusted cost of capital and then charge it to the business units accordingly, with how would this influence their decisions about how much risk they're willing to accept? And because it would directly impact the bottom line, how would, it be, it would implementing a risk-adjusted cost of capital affect the company's risk culture? Of course, considering that you're thinking about these third parties as assets. So isn't third-party risk segmentation by risk rating, critical activity, service category, uh, or risk control function, doesn't that make a case for portfolio management and treating this, these relationships as assets? So third-party risk management should not simply be about managing risk or avoiding or minimizing loss events. After all, third-party relationships can be very good for your firm, its reputations, its revenues, and operational resilience. So on behalf of RMA's podcast series, this is Linda Tuck Chapman. Thank you for listening.